We're going to do things a little bit differently this morning, if you haven't figured that out yet. A little bit of a different flow and a rhythm to, to the service today, and I'm actually going to go ahead and preach, believe it or not. If you are with us in any sort of regular capacity, you know that that's a little bit different than our typical flow and rhythm to a service, that usually we have more of an extended time of worship at the front end, and then I preach towards the second half of our service together, and then we end with one song of response before dismissing. Uh, that will continue to probably be our, our traditional format, but we wanted to, to mix it up and, and kind of reverse that a little bit today, and we, we wanted to do that for a reason. Some of it was obviously the announcements <clears throat> and the updates that we had scheduled, but there are a couple of other reasons. Uh, one is that when you think about our typical flow of a worship service, usually what happens by putting the message towards the end is that when you sing, when you worship, when you pray, that the worship is informing the message. Uh, knowingly or unknowingly, that's what's happening. What you're singing about is, is preparing your heart for what is going to be shared and spoken of from the Word. For example, last week, right before I came up to preach, we sang the song, On That Day. And that's a song about the resurrection, what it's going to be like on that day when we're with Christ again. And that was intentionally chosen to prepare your hearts for a whole message driven from 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection and that day. And so that's how it typically flows, is that the music and the worship informs the message. But I will tell you uh, that as the, usually the only one in this room that has studied and prepared what is going to be shared, uh, I feel somewhat like guilty at times because I have this privileged seat in worship knowing what we're about to be talking about, right? That the, the Word of God has already kind of spoken and encouraged me, spoken to me, encouraged me. And so when I'm singing, a lot of times... Uh, those, those words and those messages of the songs just have this weight to them that sometimes I wonder, has, has everyone else grasped yet what we're about to dive into? And it's had me at moments think about how, how beneficial it can be to rather than the worship inform the message, have the message inform the worship, right? That we can come here and speak about God's truth, that you can be encouraged by his word and what it says and then respond with joyful praise and adoration with a whole fresh understanding about the things that we're singing about. Um, I think it's important to do that from time to time. And so that's one of the main reasons why we shifted it is that as we spend some time here just briefly in the word, it will inform the worship for the rest of the service. And so what that's going to look like is I'm going to finish speaking here in a little bit, and then we're going to have an extended amount of worship time at the end of the service today. It won't just be one response song. It's going to be several songs that allow us to worship collectively as a response to the message. So that's one reason why we did it. The other reason why we're doing it this way is I, I wanted us to create some intentional space today. I, I wanted today's service to be an appropriate bridge from where we've been and where we're going. Uh, when you know, I start thinking about all the things that we've been talking about as a church, uh, let me explain that to you. Where, where we've been is we just finished about a two and a half month series on identity. Uh, a specifically courageous identity rooted in our understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. And I did not fully prepare and grasp when I set that plan out initially the, the breadth and the depth of that sort of conversation. And for the last two and a half months, I have felt it. I, I would imagine you have felt it to a certain extent that every time I've come up here to speak and, and, and to share, there has been so much that I've tried to communicate. Those subjects about the image of God, uh, our identity in Christ, how culture understands identity, how, how we are to understand identity biblically, it, it has felt like a monumental task 
to figure out how much to say and, and trying to communicate that week in and week out that I know from my end, I would think at times from your end, it has felt like that proverbial drinking water from a fire hydrant, right? It's just been a lot. And it is so rich and it is so profound and it's so significant. I wanted to create space for us to process it. And that's what today is really intended to do, like, like to not just forget everything we've just talked about for the last two and a half months and move into a whole nother subject, but to allow ourselves the time to really reflect and process it and be led by the Spirit in doing so. And that's what today's service is really intended to do in a lot of ways, to, to help bridge this gap of where we've been, but also to anticipate where we're going. Because what happens and in, in, in when you begin to really reflect upon your identity in Christ and understanding your identity in Christ, what it means to be made in the image of God, that, that you are essentially designed and created to fill the earth with the image of God, to reflect his glory. What that means is that God has given you a task. He's given you a mission. And that's going to be what we talk about for the next several weeks, this courageous mission, this responsibility in our life. We're going to be camped out in Acts 1-8. What does it mean to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? Right? He, he gives us purpose. But what we are going to see is that before you run after that mission, right, that there's got to be this time where you, again, allow the Spirit to speak and to move. Right? There's an important bridge in between those two. So I'm, I'm hoping that you're seeing the, the intimate connection between identity and mission, right? They are directly correlated. Understanding who we are, being made in the image of God, compels us forward to what we should do in our lives, right? And so I want to ask you this morning, what is that mission, that task, that responsibility that God has given you, right? That if he's designed you in his image and your whole reason for existence is to fill your corner of the earth with the reflection of his glory, to lead others into that flourishing. Well, what does that look like for you? Do you know what he has called you to do? And if, if you do, how do you know that's what he's called you to do? And if you don't, how can you find out what he's called you to do? Th those are the questions that I want us to wrestle with today. And what we're going to see uh, this morning is that the answer is often found in the waiting. All right, and that's what we're going to talk about. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to quickly show us Luke 24 in Acts chapter 1 before we get to Acts 1.8. And this is a, a very critical component to what Jesus offers his followers right after the resurrection. If you remember last week, we looked a little bit at Luke chapter 24 and saw this, this incredible resurrection appearance of the guys on the road to Emmaus. And then at this moment, he appears to the disciples and he says, touch me, see me. I, I'm, I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones as I have. And then he sits down and he eats with them. And so after this incredible appearance, look at what Jesus says, starting in verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer uh, and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Imagine this moment. The excitement. The energy. The, the, the overwhelming sense of joy and devotion that must be 
moving throughout the hearts of these people. You're going to be my witnesses to these things. We, we are proclaiming this message of forgiveness of sins, a greater message than they could have ever fathomed. And then he continues, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, referencing the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city. Right? Stay, wait, until you've been clothed with power from on high. Right? Wait for the gift of the Spirit, and when the Spirit comes, it's gonna clothe you with power from on high. Acts chapter one uh, offers a very similar depiction. Uh, he says, uh, starting in verse one, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. He's referencing the Gospel of Luke, because Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, presented himself to, to them, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. We talked about that last week, right? He sits down, he eats with them. He says, touch my hands and my side. This was not some sort of, did I think I see, saw him like from across the road? Like he convinced them he was alive. Many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Told you last week, merge that with 1 Corinthians 15 that tells us he appeared to more than 500 people. Right, so 40 days, convincing proofs, 500 people. Right? And what is he doing? He's talking about the kingdom of God, what we just read. He's opening their minds to the scriptures. He's helping them see the significance of all that has just transpired. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it remarkable, church, that one of the first things Jesus tells his followers to do as soon as they become into, come into this greater awareness of the resurrection and are observing this, these convincing proofs that Jesus is alive, the first thing they tell them to do is wait. Wait for the Spirit of God. Which is an important, uh, I think, kind of introduction to the book of Acts as we move into Missions Month. Because sometimes we can have somewhat of a, a limited view of the book of Acts, right? An appropriate one, but a limited one. Willie James Jennings is one of my favorite authors in terms of a commentary in the book of Acts. And he uses this, this reference that a lot of times we can look at the book of Acts as, as somewhat of an ecclesial museum. What he means by that is it's kind of like a museum that helps us get a sense of the ancient church. And just like you would in a museum walking by and kind of getting a chance to observe how religious practices used to be done, and this is how the early church used to, to function, we just kind of observe it as an ancient demonstration of how we might inform our way of understanding church today. When in reality, it's so much more. The, the word that Willie James Jennings used to describe the book of Acts is that this is the revolution. Like literally, what we just read is an insight to a revolutionary moment. This is flesh on the other side of death, right? And it changes everything. And when that revelation takes place, it's a revolutionary moment where the Spirit of God intersects with the church of God, with the Savior of God. It all happens here. And so when we step into this moment, we need to step into this revolutionary mindset to be guided by the Spirit of God, clothed with power from on high, that we would wait 
on him. I love this one quote that uh, James Jennings offers that gives us a sense of how significant the Spirit of God is in our understanding of our response to this gospel. Because last week we talked a lot about the future, the promise of the resurrection. And, and so a lot of times we say, don't, don't move out from that hope, right? Hold on, stand firm, hold on to this hope that you have in the gospel. And that is important. But sometimes we can find ourselves just waiting for the future. And James Jennings brings us back into the presence with a focus on the Spirit. He says, that future with God, however, does not discount the now or the present moment. This is the work of the Spirit who relishes each moment with us, never discounting our time and never treating the time of creation in each creature, in each creature as an inconsequential time. The book of Acts reveals the Spirit who joins us in time, sharing our spaces and partaking in the places we inhabit as places fit for divine activity. Here's, here's the point, right? When you are made in the image of God, and you have been given that responsibility to fill the earth, your corner of the earth, with, with a reflection of his glory to, to flourish and lead others into that same sense of flourishing, right? That, that that means your life is not insignificant. Every moment that you have on this earth, every breath that you breathe should not be discounted, should not be seen as inconsequential. It is a moment that is potentially ripe to be filled with the Spirit of God. It is a life that has been given the opportunity to be filled with divine activity, for God to, to use you to fill the earth with his glory. Every single moment matters. And so for us to wait on the Spirit, for the Spirit of God to lead us accordingly, is incredibly significant. And so I, I want this time of worship this morning to be a demonstration of our ability to wait on God, all right, and, and to embrace this moment, to really reflect upon who we are being made in his image and what it is he's calling us to do, what it is he's leading us to do in our corners of the earth, and to be filled with the Spirit, to wait on him. Now, I recognize, though, that when I say things like, hey, wait on the Spirit of God, we might have some questions like, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Because waiting is not typically um, something we enjoy doing in our culture, is it? Right? Oftentimes, that idea of waiting for anything is met with resistance or apprehension. I mean, we don't like waiting on our food too long. We don't like waiting uh, at traffic lights, at restaurants, for Amazon. We don't like waiting 50-plus years for a World Series championship. Like, we don't like waiting. And so a lot of times if you say, well, wait, then you begin to wonder, well, what does that look like? Right? And, and that's what I want us to see this morning is that uh, Jesus's instruction to wait is not new with Jesus. Right? This is actually uh, a, a discipline, a, a posture that God's people have taken in their relationship with him from the very beginning. And so to give you a picture and to hopefully inform your time in worship this morning, uh, we're going to consult one of my favorite psalms that I think gives some great clarity to what it looks like to wait on the Lord and what do we mean when we say that, okay? So, so go ahead and hang a left if you're there in Luke or Acts and go to Psalm 27. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to briefly work through this psalm this morning. And, and as I do, I'm hoping to capture different elements of what it means to wait on the Lord, and, and my hope is that some of this 
maybe all of this will resonate with you. Because I recognize that you come into this worship service this morning and, and you all have different experiences, different seasons of life, different things that you're maybe carrying or not carrying, different um, points of your relationship with the Lord. And so some of you come in here with burdens, some of you come in here with joy, some of you come in here with stress, anxiety, others of you with a carefree spirit. Like, like I know you're all over the spectrum, but I think what Psalm 27 does is speak to the breadth of how we should approach the Lord with that sense of waiting. And so I'm going to hit on several different elements that I think we find in this psalm, hopeful that as we resonate with Psalm 27, it will inform how you respond to your creator in worship here in just a moment, okay? And so let's just work through it. Verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One of the first things that I hope comes through the spirit of God this morning in your worship, through your waiting on the Lord is a very sweet and powerful and meaningful reminder that the Lord is the light of your salvation, right? That, that what saves you is Jesus, nothing more. Your job doesn't save you, your family doesn't save you, your work ethic doesn't save you, your health doesn't save you. The light of your salvation is the Lord. He is the stronghold of your life, nothing more. He's going to be the one that sustains you. He's going to be the one that holds you up. And so as you sing and you worship this morning, be reminded of the source of that salvation. Be reminded of the fact that he is the stronghold of your life. He is the one that sustains you. And when you can focus in on that and your heart can rest in that, what does it give way to? It gives way to courage, to fearlessness. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? That fearlessness is elaborated on as the psalmist continues. He says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. What incredible courage and fearlessness. You know, we read verses two and three, and I would imagine a lot of times if we read that either here in this setting, or perhaps in our own, we probably read those verses somewhat metaphorically, right? Then when we think about the wicked uh, coming up against us or our foes or having to embrace the fact that an army besieges us or war breaks out around us, that we often tend to associate that with some other sort of experience in our life, like maybe we're, we're feeling overwhelmed by grief or, or we really are struggling with loneliness, depression, addiction, Right, maybe we're, we're, we're feeling like a war has broken out around us and, and we're feeling surrounded by all these different adversities and all these different hardships because of health, because of a cancer diagnosis or all these different things. And we, we associate it with those sorts of experiences. And I think rightly so. And so if that's you, if you're here this morning and you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling surrounded, you're feeling burdened by those things, then I, I want you to see that waiting on the Lord produces a fearlessness, right? It, it produces a strength that can face those moments. But I also want to press us a little bit further and recognize the depth of that courage, the depth of that fearlessness, and recognize that for many around the world, these verses are not read metaphorically. And I told you last week, 
how many times over the last month or so that I have almost instinctively put myself in the shoes of the people in Israel and in Gaza. Right, that for many people, many of whom we would count brothers and sisters on both sides of that conflict, are reading these verses very differently. Right, like, like literally feel that the army is besieging them or, or terrorists are, are besieging them, that war has broken out all around them in the fiercest and most dire and terrible ways. And that even in those moments, the gospel says, even then, your heart can be fearless. Even then, you can remain confident. What incredible courage. Right? That, that when we see the light of salvation, it produces fearlessness. This is part of what waiting accomplishes for us. So wherever you are this morning, that it would produce that courage and fearlessness. How? Verse four, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Right? What you should seek this morning in the waiting on the Lord is you seek his presence. One thing I ask, Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell with you in your temple to see your beauty. This is what the heart longs for. Is it what your heart longs for? Is this what you desire? The, the, the key to waiting is that it taps us into a longing for his presence, longing to just be with him. And so I wanna ask you a question. Do you find yourself, more often than not, in your relationship with the Lord, longing for the benefits of knowing the Lord or just knowing the Lord? Do you find yourself wanting answers to prayer or just wanting the one that you're praying to? What is your heart long for? He wants to answer your prayers. He, he, he wants to, to bless you and, and the benefits of it, but the heart needs to long for his presence more than anything else. Because when you find his presence, you find his protection. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to rid your life of adversity or that he's going to eliminate you from any sort of experience of pain and suffering because if our Savior experienced it, so will we. But if we long for his presence, we find his protection. We find this confidence. We find this strength. Then my head will be exalted, he says, above the enemies who surround me in his sacred tent. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Waiting is filled with joyful worship. See, a lot of times, again, because of the, the connotation that comes with the word waiting, we often look at it as maybe a negative thing. Or when we do spiritualize it, we see it as very contemplative, very somber, right? This, this longing, this yearning, which is appropriate. But don't miss the fact that it is also filled with joy, right? And this was the response of the disciples right after Jesus had given all these different instructions and he said to wait. We get a picture of what their waiting looked like. This is after the resurrection. This is after the ascension, but before Pentecost, before the Spirit had come in Luke 24, verses 52, it says, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. 
They stayed continually at the temple praising God. When you wait on the Lord this morning, do so with a spirit of joy. Why? Because you know victory belongs to Christ. Right? That's what's there with the psalmist. He says, I know that their head, my head will be exalted. There will be victory. And because we have this assurance of victory, even if there is difficulty in the waiting, even if there is struggle in the waiting, we can still worship with joy because we know the victory belongs to the Lord. So worship with joy this morning, church. Verse 7. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, for you have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. I know that a lot of times in our own walk and in our own waiting, it feels like God has hidden himself from us. It feels like he's turned his face away from us. Those are very real moments, very real challenges that we go through. And so how do you navigate those moments where it feels like God is distant? And I think there's a beautiful clue here from the psalmist where he says, but you have been my helper. He reminds himself that God has helped him. He reminds himself that the Lord has received him. Even though my father and mother may forsake me, you have received me, he says. So even in your life, when maybe the closest people to you have rejected you or hurt you, be reminded this morning in your waiting, the Lord has received you. He has helped you. Maybe in your prayers and your worship today, you need to stop and you need to think back. If, if he feels distant right now, what has he done for you in the past? Remind yourself how he has helped you. And if you can't think of anything, let me encourage all of you, whether you can or can't, to look to the cross. Because there is no greater demonstration of how God has revealed himself to you, how he has not ever hidden himself to you. He is God with you. He is Emmanuel. He has given everything of himself for you so that he might receive you with open arms. Don't lose sight of his help and his incredible warming embrace and how he receives us. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Maybe you're in a season of life this morning where you just need instruction, you need guidance, and your prayer and the waiting is, Lord, teach me your way. I don't know how to handle this stuff at home. I don't know how to handle this stuff in my marriage or with parenting or with my parents or with school and my future, this overwhelming sense of anxiety. I don't know how to handle these things at work. Whatever it is, call out to the Lord to teach you his ways. Right? Let, let him know that you desire his ways to protect you from falling into the schemes of opposition because they're real. So long for his ways, long for him to guide your path. And here's the last thing I'll encourage us with, verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Waiting on the Lord strengthens your faith. Right? It, it, it helps you know confidently to trust in the goodness of the Lord. Even when it's hard to see in its present moments, you know it's there. You know it will reveal itself in its fullness at some point. Waiting on the Lord strengthens your faith. And so my hope and my prayer for you this morning is that your faith is strengthened, not because of some message crafted together with persuasive words, but because of a demonstration of the Spirit's power in your life.
that here in a moment when we sing and we worship, you would feel the Spirit of God reminding you of his goodness and giving you that sort of confidence and strengthening that sort of faith. And so I want to invite you this morning, church, mindful of where we've been, who you've been created to be, designed in the image of God to fill the earth with his glory, that that would lead you to courageously demonstrate such glory by living out this courageous mission that has been given to you because you took the time to wait on the Spirit, mindful of his salvation, mindful of the, of the courage and the fearlessness that you can have, right? knowing that you desire his presence more than anything else, that you can worship with joy in the waiting, right? that you can know that he has been your helper, that you can rely on the fact that he has received you, right? that you can ask him to teach you his ways, right? that you can respond with that sort of joyful celebration because your faith has been strengthened. And so here in a moment, the band's gonna come back up. I'm about to pray for us. And when I do, I'm gonna ask the deacons to assume their spots. And they're gonna be available maybe for the first song or so. And we're just gonna ask for you to stay in your seats and have this song sung over you as you assume that appropriate posture. And then they won't stay up for the entire time of worship. They'll go back and find their spots. The deacons will at a certain point. But I want you to worship in freedom and in truth. I want you to worship through the Spirit, as the Spirit leads. You need to come to the altar, come to the altar. You need to go find somebody and visit with them, find them. You need to stand and sing, stand and sing. But assume this posture of waiting this morning, church, and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. I want to encourage us with that final verse. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. And we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for an incredible message of hope. God, we thank you for a gospel that compels us to go, that reminds us of who we are, but more importantly, God, tells us to stop and be still, to not run past you or away from you or forget you, but to wait for you. So God, I pray that you would look upon your church this morning with favor and see the hearts of your people. Assume this posture of waiting. God, that you would allow us to truly be strong and take heart and wait for you. Remind us of who we've create, you've created us to be. Remind us of where you've called us to go. Let us worship with joy. And we love you. So God, we wait. We wait for you. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.